You're listening to the P-Town Church Podcast. To learn more about our in-person services or additional sermon content like this, visit palcc.org. That's P-A-L-C-C dot O-R-G. It fits well with what we're discussing here today, the safeguard, the secure safeguard that Jesus provides for us as his children for generation after generation after generation. We're looking at, in this context of Hebrews 11, 6,000 years of generations after generation after generation that God has safeguarded the family and the promise that he has put into it to bring us right where we are today as a family where we celebrate what the Lord is doing for us. It is a demonstration of faith that's important for us to acknowledge because as Jack revealed and as we have been singing about here this morning, God is not done with us. He always has something planned and we must believe that by faith. It is easy for us to get discouraged. If you're old like Jack and I, then it's easy. He, although Jack's what, eight, nine years older than I am, something like that. When you get to that age and you've seen the ups and downs and things happen and then go left, they go right, you know, it's, it's kind of like, well, what can God do in a situation like this? And it's amplified by the fact that when you're a smaller church, little things look bigger, don't they? So if, uh, if you were in an in a auditorium where there are 20,000 people that were gathering and you had a size that was empty like this, nobody would notice too much, right? But you put it in a little small town context, you know, my goodness, that seems to be big. But the main thing for us to remember is that as all of the messages so far in music and what Jack has said, what we're going to talk about today is that God is still blessing, that God still has a plan for us, and we need to just understand that plan that he safeguarded for generation after generation. We had a chance to celebrate my dad's 88th birthday uh, just not too long ago. Went out to Oklahoma. And one of the things that happens anytime our family goes to Oklahoma is the rest of the family comes and descends upon us. Wherever we might be, they'll come. If we were, we used to try going to hotels and uh, getting rooms there, and then, you know, you put 20 people in a room, a uh, double bed room, it gets a little uh, intense in that room. So, uh, what we've been doing, I have a friend who has a B&B, Airbnb there, and so I work through his wife, Sarah, and say, Ken, is your house available? It's a nice three-bedroom home. It's got two bathrooms, two big uh, family areas, a kitchen, and this time it was available, so we were able to be there. And of course, when we're there, that's where all the family descends. We've just gotten smart about it and found a place big enough where when the family descends, you have a place you can go hide if you need to. Well, while we were together, the grandkids start to start to still share stories about their past. And when we were with uh, Daryl, my dad, grandpa, well, we got to share stories that we remembered about him. Some of these stories revealed something that we don't like to talk about, and that is they revealed the dysfunction that we have as a family. Now, I always think, and when I think of the word dysfunction, I think about Jim Morehouse, and he said that uh, at his church, they put the fun in the dysfunction. So, 
Every time I think of that, I think of our family. Well, we do have a lot of fun when we get together, but there's a lot of dysfunction as a family, as well as there's a lot of drama that is created by the stubbornness of those who are part of the Simmons family. And although uh, uh, some might argue uh, the Simmons bunch are stubborn people, I will admit to that. The legacy of Daryl Simmons, though, that he leaves, which is most important, is not the dysfunction and the drama. It is something he shared with our mom who passed away a couple years ago. And that is, they led us to the promise of God, to his purpose for us, and to always believe that he had a plan for our lives. Now, they did that by taking us to church. We were in church every Sunday, and whenever there were opportunities for us while we were growing up, we were in church. So we were reminded all the time about the promise of God, the purpose of God, and the plan of God, and that we can participate in that if we just have faith. Our lives have been made more difficult because of the dysfunctions, and more divisive because of the drama. But the single driving force for all of us has been our faith in God. The hardest, easiest place to live by faith is in our families. The family dynamic provides the perfect culture to demonstrate our faith. But familial dysfunction and drama just complicates it. If we think the Bible is full of perfect people who always made perfect decisions, we are miscalculating what the Bible teaches. If anything, it is about imperfect families making imperfect decisions, creating all kinds of dysfunction and drama. But despite that imperfection, the promised purpose and plan of God was lived out through their faith, even though they suffered from relational insecurity. Why is the Bible still the most popular document that has ever been? It's because it talks about something that has extended through generation after generation, first through the Israelites, then through Christianity and its various forms for the last 2,000 years. But for 6,000 years, God has been moving through families, even though they were dysfunctional and had drama. He's been moving through them to have his story played out in history. And of course, we already know the end of the story. When Jesus Christ returns, everyone will see him as he is. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess. Uh, and we will uh, either uh, go to heaven and be with uh, the Lord Jesus always because we believed in him, or we won't and we'll be the goats and we'll go into condemnation for eternity. That's the end of the story. But until we get there, each family has the opportunity to live by faith and participate in God's promise, purpose, and plan. But there's this thing called relational insecurity that has caused a lot of problems with even Christian families. Relational insecurity is the feeling of inadequacy that typically stems from lacking self-confidence because of abuse, disappointment, trauma, or dysfunction in the past. Sometimes if you have a family who always fails, like economically or when it comes to raising their kids, the kids are always in 
trouble and rebellion and things like that that plays out dysfunctionally in generation after generation. Relational insecurity stems from that lack of self-confidence. And what have we been talking about all through our study here in the deep dive at Hebrews 11 is do not throw away your confidence. Because if we lack confidence, then we will look at any kind of disadvantage, like if we were abused some way, or disappointment in that never seemed like our family was ever on the winning side. Or we'll look at the drama that our family went through or the dysfunction that they went through and we'll consider ourselves as losers. We'll lose our confidence. We won't have any grand hope for the next generation or for our future. We'll just go into survival mode. It can be a faith killer when we misunderstand that God can still provide promise, purpose, and a plan even if we experience relational, uh, we experience relational insecurity. If you have doubt because of abuse or disappointment or drama or dysfunction in your family, don't let that steal your confidence in faith. Like the old country song says, I beg your pardon, finish it for me. I never promised you a what? All right, so you know the song. Along with the sunshine, there needs to be a little rain sometime. But for some reason in our current culture, we have experts who exploit this relational insecurity. So they begin to deconstruct everything. And their uh, focus right now is deconstructing and redefining the idea of what the family is. And as they do that, children when they're exposed to this deconstruction and all these weird ideas that people who don't know what they're talking about throw out there, the children will see any kind of rain in their life, any kind of abuse, disappointment, drama, or dysfunction. They'll see that as something that is defeating for them or it causes what we'll, call, what we'll say is dysphoria in them. They get confused. They don't know who they are. They don't know what their purpose in this life is. And then someone suggests to them, well, maybe you are not this or that. You are something else. Maybe you're not a boy. You're a girl. And that's why you're confused. Maybe you're not a girl. You're a boy. And that's why you're confused. And so we have all these things that are going on right now. And the crazy thing is, is that the parents who used to have influence through faith, that has been exchanged for the influence of activists or educators guiding them to some new form of identity. And most often that happens when they get on their devices because instead of talking to you as their parent or grandparent, they'll get on their devices and they'll have someone that they don't even know who, who you don't know if they care about them or not telling them that if they're confused or if they feel odd or awkward, maybe it's because they need to be like them, different. These activists and educators, they guide them then to a new identity, and then they offer treatment that comes from public coffers as well as philanthropic-funded places. On October 13th, uh, Jennifer Bilek interviewed with Megyn Kelly in which she exposed the philanthropic effort of billionaires in our country to fund opportunities for children who feel confused about their identity 
to seek the treatment that they want. They can't afford, but they can seek the treatment they want, and if they're in the right state, they don't even have to talk to their parents about it. They can mutilate their own bodies with the help of eager surgeons ready to cash a check or take drugs that will fundamentally change their whole ability to bear children or have normal um, activity as far as their body is concerned. This is insane. And people are beginning to wake up to it, but this is not the first time that children have been targeted or families have been targeted with this doubt and this dysphoria. This is insane because for centuries, what has gotten children and adults through this relational insecurity, this confusion, this dysphoria, is the safeguard that has been provided by Jesus through our faith, even when it was dysfunctional in our family and dramatic in our families. And we should be able to see what is happening in our current culture as a scheme of Satan. It's just another trick of his to kill the faith of the next generation as he exploits the thing that confuses them the most right now, and that's their relational insecurity. They have doubt, they're disappointed, they've been abused, they're struggling, and they have a lot of voices out there, not their parents, not their grandparents, telling them there are these weird alternatives they should seek. In our deep dive into Hebrews 11, 17 through 31, supported by Genesis 17 through 50, this is the story of Abraham. In the books of Exodus, Deuteronomy, and Joshua, that's the story of Moses and Joshua, the, the, the walls coming down in Jericho, the story of Rahab we'll talk about in just a second. They illustrate through the dysfunctional family of Abraham and the dramatic Hebrew family of Moses that faith can still get us through. Because God's going to do what God's going to do. We'll either be a part of it or we won't. But in the end, when everything is said and done, God will be on the throne. Christ will be at his right hand. Those who believed in him will be with him in heaven. Those who are, have been his enemies and have not had faith, they will be in condemnation. That's going to be the end. Why would we then give that up if we know that is true? Because we have some kind of temporal dysphoria. We cannot stop living by faith just because we have a little rain sometime. Our response to dysfunction and drama shouldn't be to redefine the idea of family and say family has failed, but to recommit ourselves as a family to get through it through faith, just like billions have done for 6,000 years. So let's deep dive into the text. Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll be looking at verse 17 through 31 today. Let me just read that text for you. It says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac, which was his son, as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. You remember the promise? That all the nations of the earth will be blessed through your seed, through your, your, your heritage. And now God's saying, sacrifice your son, who is the seed that that goes through. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a matter of speaking, he did not receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau and regarded their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's, Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. 
By faith, when, he, when his end was near, Joseph spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instruction concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him from three months hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of, of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead. To his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, became, uh, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Now, this is in the context of the heroes of faith. And of course, you know, we've been talking about uh, Abel or Enoch and Cain, uh, or Abel, Abel and Cain, when we started this discussion. And then we talked about Enoch and how he lived forever. And uh, we come down to this story now where we're getting to Abraham and Moses. I think the two important lessons that we can learn here about what God is doing is he's safeguarding Abraham's legacy. He always did that, even though there was a lot of dysfunction in Abraham's family. If you read Genesis 17 through 50 and you didn't know the end of the story, you might doubt that faith would have won. You might go away thinking, how in the world did they get out of that slavery? God always safeguards the legacy that he has called us to, even if there's dysfunction in our relationship. Abraham added to the dysfunction that was going on because he was not a very good decision maker. You might think, well, wasn't he Abraham? He was the father of promise. Yeah, but he didn't make good decisions. He had faith. He trusted. He left Ur of Chaldees. We talked about that. He went to the land of promise. He did what he was supposed to do as far as that was concerned. But he was always making bad decisions when he got in situations that were uncomfortable. Like, for instance, he kept telling people that Sarah, his wife, was his sister. And since she was a beautiful woman, of course, these kings or whomever they might be, powerful men, they wanted Sarah for their own. And that caused a little bit of a problem. Abraham was creating dysfunction in his family history because he made bad decisions. But he also made some good ones by faith. Sarah caused her own set of dysfunctions, which are still playing out today in the Middle East. My heart breaks for what's going on in Israel and Gaza, the different things there. But you do realize that's still the age of battle of Isaac and Ishmael playing out. You remember how Sarah created that? Jealousy? how it caused the problem and division where he, she even forced uh, Ishmael and his mother out the door. Create all kinds of dysfunction for Abraham's family for years and years and still for Abraham's family today. 
Isaac's sons were so dysfunctional that one tricked the other with the help of his mom, Rebecca, out of his birthright. Remember how Jacob, he put on the fur on his arms and, and neck so that uh, Isaac, who was growing blind, couldn't tell that it was not Esau? And instead of blessing Esau, who deserved the birthright, remember how Jacob tricked him out of his birthright with a bowl of porridge? And now, with the help of his wife, Isaac's wife, Rebekah, is getting, stealing that birthright and putting it upon Jacob's shoulders? Does that sound functional to you? No, it's very dysfunctional. It would fit very well on days of our lives. Jacob created such dysfunctional jealousy in all of his sons. He had 12, remember? Ten of them one time sold their brother Joseph into slavery over a coat. Remember? The coat of many colors. Joseph's wearing it. It was obvious an indication that uh, Jacob loved uh, uh, him a little bit, maybe more than the others. And so the others, they got jealous. They threw him a pit, and then when they saw the Egyptians, or they saw a band of people were going by to Egypt, they said, well, let's just sell him. So their brother, their little brother, ends up in Egypt because they were jealous of him and his relationship with his father. Joseph then rose to power in Egypt, but put all of his family members into dysfunction or into the dysfunction of, of slavery because he did not accommodate for them. They moved to Goshen. They grew so fast. The people there in Egypt, especially the pharaohs, feared them, so they enslaved them. Surely Joseph could have seen that. For 400 years they lived in slavery because of Joseph's dysfunctional thinking. Now the fact that they were dysfunctional did not mean they did not live by faith. They lived by the faith that was driving them forward, that they were God's people and they were living under God's promise. That was the legacy of Abraham's family. They were people of promise. They believed that even when they were in slavery, so they cried out for someone to come free them because they were people of promise. The legacy of promise was the only thing that guided all of Abraham's family through the dysfunctions of their bad decisions. And this is true for you too. You got dysfunctions in your family? Join the family. You know, we all have dysfunctional families. But if you're willing to take the risk of living each day, despite the dysfunction of your life, by faith in God's promise, His promise is that you are part of an eternal family who demonstrates by faith that no matter what dysfunctions you must endure, you will thrive in the eternal promise of God. You're hitching your wagon to God's team. You're riding His train. We are just by faith believing in that. It's greater than ourselves. And that means it doesn't matter what happens in this world, whatever risk we must take, it's worth it. So don't complain about how dysfunctional your family is. It can't be any more dysfunctional than what you will read about in Genesis 17 through 50 in Abraham's family. And there's much more we could talk about today. Live by faith. Know that living by faith in the promise of God that you're part of His family, His kingdom, His plan, His proper purpose, 
that if you have faith in that, he will see you through. He will safeguard you to the other side. He also safeguarded Moses in Moses' leadership. When you read the story of Exodus, the people coming out of Egypt, and then how, how long it took them to get to the promised land, you know, 40 years wandering around in the desert. All these things describe the drama of the Hebrew children as they were led out by Moses to the promised land. Now, why was it called the promised land? Because that was the land that was promised to Abraham. Remember, when he left Ur of Chaldees, I'm going to send you to the land of promise. Now they're finally getting around to being there after all the dysfunction and drama of what's been going on in their lives. 500 years of it. Moses tries to lead them to the promised land. What do they want to do? Well, first chance they get. They say, well, let's go back to Egypt. God provided them a great leader in Moses. Moses never would have been, but his parents resisted the mandate of the Pharaoh to kill all the little boys at the time. They saved him, put him in a basket. Remember the story? Why do we teach that little story to our children? Then as Moses got older and he realized that he was, uh, he was Hebrew, he refused the privileges and pleasures of Egypt afforded him as an adopted son because he was looking forward to something better. The rich reward, as the Hebrew writer, uh, writer points out, the rich reward of Christ Jesus. Now, can you imagine if Moses actually could see that this was all about the Son of God, Christ Jesus? The Hebrew writer indicates that. It might have been metaphorical. But the truth of the matter was is that, a, or that Moses believed in something greater than the slavery in which the people were living. Or he was able to see something greater than the opulence of being the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He dramatically left Egypt for something unseen in his heart. But then he re returned dramatically to demand that Pharaoh let God's people go. There's a lot of drama involved with that. Remember the ten plagues? There's a lot of drama in the plagues. The drama surrounding the Passover, which was the final plague where God was going to send an angel of death and the people of Israel, the Hebrew children, needed to put lamb's blood over their doorposts so that the angel of death would pass over. Moses and God's people, by faith, they painted that blood on their doorpost. That makes no sense whatsoever to do that. But God tells them to do that because they believed in the promise. They had enough faith in the promise of God that God could free them if they just had faith. Remember after they escaped Pharaoh, he tracked them down at the Red Sea. Do you don't think that was a dramatic event? Here they all, they had the sea on one side, emptiness on the other. I mean, what's going to happen? They have Egypt's army coming to destroy them. And Pharaoh's orders were to kill them all. And then somehow God opens up the water. And they pass on dry land. And then as the Egyptians try to go across, the water swallows them up. Does that sound kind of dramatic to you? Forty years later, the Hebrews marched around the walls of Jericho. Why 40 years later? Because they went into the wilderness. They kept complaining and whining about God. Well, we don't have nothing to drink, Lord. So he gave them something to drink. Well, we don't have anything to eat. So he gave them a couple different things that they could eat. 
But they were always saying, well, maybe it was better off in Egypt. They finally get to Jericho. This under Joshua's direction, they marched around the city. And because they believed in God, he brought down those walls. That had to be dramatic. Probably more dramatic than anything you might watch in a Marvel movie or Star Wars because it was real. (laughs) The leadership of purpose provided by Moses and Joshua, they had the clear mandate and motivation to lead the Hebrews to the promised land. And Rahab believed in that vision and her family was saved from the dramatic destruction because she had faith in God. She believed the spies. She helped hide them, remember? All of this was part of God's plan to bring His children to the promised land even though there was one dramatic event after another, many times caused by the emotions of the Israelites themselves. And this is true for you too. If you're willing to resist all the dramatic efforts by others to distract you from God's purpose, just resist it. Have faith. His purpose, like that of the Hebrew children, is to provide leaders who will lead you to the promised land of heaven no matter what drama in this world you might need to get through. So here I am. Got our leaders. Alan, Jerry, serve as our elders. We've got Andrew serves as a deacon. We have trustees who serve with us. We're here all the time to remind you that if you have drama in your life, don't let it overcome you, but believe in the promise that God has made for you. And I will make you this promise. I will continue to remind you of that every Sunday that I preach in this pulpit. You think you've got drama and dysfunction in your life. And you think that that's so confusing that it should compromise your faith. Not if you read Hebrews 11, 17 through 31. So let's put these things into practice. I broke them down a little bit to make it kind of bite-sized for you to get into. And the main thing here is do not stop living by faith, even if it's risky. You've experienced resistance from others or respect of what anyone else is doing in in your world. Okay, not as many people are going to church. Does that mean you should stop going to church? People are going to resist your faith. They're going to say that it's outdated, it's archaic, it's hateful. It may be risky for you, but you have to believe. Do not stop living by faith. And you do that, first of all, by living out the legacy of God's promise, no matter the risk. Live out the legacy of God's promise, no matter the risk. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, he offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned. He got to thinking that God could even raise the dead. And so in a matter of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from Death because he was willing to sacrifice his own son. It was quite the risk. It wasn't until the very last second when he was about to plunge that knife into his son that God said, wait, here's a ram over here. Sacrifice it. You know, we got to live out our legacy of God's promise. His promise to us um, is is the same as he made to Abraham, only we've had it fulfilled in us through Christ Jesus. 
and that is to remain faithful unto the very end. We get to live in the promise of Christ Jesus, but we also have the promise of eternity that we are waiting for, and we just must live this, out this legacy that's been ours for over, uh, for over 5,000 years as it involved Abraham, and 6,000 years if we go back to Adam in the very beginning. We have this legacy of promise. And do you think that there's anything that can happen geographically or geopolitically in this world that's going to change that? Do you think some person is going to be able to rise up and defeat God? No. We may have to face some risk along the way, but we must live out the legacy of God's promise to us. Secondly, we must live out the leadership of God's purpose. No matter the resistance... If everybody else in the world is resisting God, you do not. You must lead them through your faith every day in life. And you do that by the things you say. People can say all, you know, they got all kinds of worries and all kinds of things that they're worried about. And you can say something that's simple, yeah, but God's still on the throne. If you believe in him, you're going to get through. Live out your leadership. You know God's purpose for us, and that is to get us from point A to point B. Where he is for all eternity. And he gets us there just through our faith. And it doesn't matter what kind of dramatic things are going on in our life. If we have faith, he can get us from one point to the other. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded uh, disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. You know, you can look at the world... But what does it value to gain the whole world yet lose your soul? By nature of the fact that we believe and we have faith, the devil's not going to give up. He's going to keep resisting us and having people resist us in our life. But we must look forward to the reward that God has in store for us in heaven and live by faith. And also live out the life of God's plan. No matter the respective and that just means, respective to what anybody else is doing, don't worry about them. Try to lead them, try to guide them, try to have a legacy for them. Remember by faith, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses' parents, Moses' people, Rahab, they lived according to God's plan for them without respective to what was going on in the world around them. They just lived by faith. And we need to live by faith too because we know we're part of God's plan. So do not stop living by faith. Faith demonstrates that despite dysfunction and drama, God still has a promise to fulfill. He has a purpose to free us and a plan to facilitate through us. And by living by faith each day, no matter the risk, who resists us or respective to what others are doing, God will use our dysfunction and drama to demonstrate that faith may not always mean sunshine and roses, but our faith can contribute to the whole of God's promise purpose, and plan which safeguards this world. And that's why you're important in this process. Our security is found in the safeguard of faith because we will always have dysfunction and drama which the devil will try to use to destroy our faith. But if we are wise, we'll overcome it to demonstrate our faith. Now being around my family, it's always interesting and I tell you, I struggle with it a lot because of the drama and dysfunction of the past. 
But the most important thing for me, especially as we went back from my dad's 88th, is I wanted to help facilitate some way of communicating to him respect and love for what he's done for us in giving us faith. Not all my dad's, not all my dad's grandkids have been able to overcome the dysfunction and drama of their lives by using their faith. But there's always hope. They know. They know their legacy. They know how Papa, Big Grandpa's led them in that. But amongst my siblings, there's, even though there's been a lot of dysfunction and drama, as I visited with each one, they talked about their faith in God. They talked about, especially it's kind of weird because my brother, he would be what you would describe as very rough and rugged. And yet he tears up when he talks about his faith in God. So, to my dad, I have to say thanks for that legacy of promise. Who do you need to thank for that? I'd say to dad, thanks for leading us with purpose all my life. I've had this central purpose of honoring God, serving God. And that's why I'm able to get up and do what I do for you. And thanks to my dad for continuing to remind us that we are part of God's plan. Who's reminded you that you're part of God's plan, led you in that? And all of this is by Faith. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And that's what the ancients were committed for. That's why we're told this story in Hebrews 11. That's why we're deep diving into it. Is for 6,000 years, the ancients have demonstrated that faith is what makes it possible for families to survive all the dysfunction and drama their lives have created. What can the people on Instagram and TikTok offer you? How their week went? It is family and faith that has been the constant. And it will be family and faith that gets you through the dysfunction and drama if you hold on to your confidence and persevere. And that's the lesson of Hebrews 11. Don't throw away your confidence. Persevere. Have faith. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful today for the opportunity to deep dive into this story about Abraham and Moses and how it illustrates the dysfunction of life and drama of life, how we get through that, how we overcome it, how we negotiate it through our faith. Doesn't mean that we don't have to struggle or try to figure things out, but if we have faith in you, Lord, thanks for teaching us today that you'll get us from where we are to where you are. If we have respect for that promise that you made to Abraham, and we understand that we have a purpose as a part of that promise. And that you always have a plan for us, that you want to use us to demonstrate by faith how we get through the dysfunction, how we get through the drama to lead our families to where you are. For all of us today, I pray that we would commit ourselves yet again to living with confidence, to persevere, to have faith. Because you have made the promise to us that if we do, we'll be rewarded, we'll receive what you promised us, and we will be saved. And there's no one in this world that can offer us those things but you. Help us to receive that fully and live that out fully in our lives for ourselves and our children and their children and their children and their children. 
We make this our prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, that God's people say.